Well, as I said earlier, my name is Casey Cease. Uh, my family and I uh, are members here at Redeemer, and it's an honor to be with you these next few weeks as Pastor Marcus and Wendy uh, are in Kenya. Um, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to start there. But I'm launching a new four-part series, and I'm going to basically lay out the entire series and introdu- introduce it to you so that you can make a decision on what weeks you actually want to come or follow up on the weekends or, or listen to the audio later or skip all completely. Um, but they, they are sermons that are going to build upon each other. Having been preaching in some form or fashion for o- over 20 years now, I have a lot of uh, a big file cabinet, as it were, of messages But I sense the Lord compelling me and leading me to uh, write a series specifically um, for Redeemer. I was talking with Steph a while back and I said, what do you feel like our people need to hear? And she said, what do you feel like our people need to hear? Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that. That, Thank you. I was the kid that uh, was winsome and talked the pretty girls into doing my homework back in the day, and so her having been with me over 25 years knows that that's a no-fly zone. We, uh, we're going to put it back on me and let me do what I'm called and meant to do. And so as I was reflecting and thinking, I, I wanted to encourage us from the Word of God, um, from God's truth, anchored and based in the gospel of Jesus. And as I was sitting and as I have reflected over the 25 years of walking with Jesus and the fact that it hasn't been a perfect journey, that I still at times struggle with anxiety and depression. I still at times have seasons where my attention deficit, what was I talking about? Just kidding, uh, disorder. Um, and my dyslexia throw me off. I still have times when I feel shame and guilt and fear and down, and when I still choose to feed my flesh rather than nurture the soul. I started breaking down and thinking, well, hey, we are meant to create it to worship, and that worship that is honoring to the Lord is one that is fueled and based out of a position of gratitude. And that worshiping the Lord with gratitude or acknowledging when we're not experiencing or feeling grateful will produce a supernatural, internally based, lasting joy that isn't fleeting like an external source of happiness, but is one that we can truly say when things don't go our way, it is well with my soul. That isn't something that naturally occurs in our humanity. In fact, we are prone to complain and grumble and compare and judge and assess and quite honestly advocate more about what we're against than live into what we are for. And I'm I'm addressing specifically today the church, believers of Jesus, followers of Jesus. And so if you're watching online today, welcome by the way, or you're here today and not yet sure what you believe about Jesus, I want to give you an honest inside look into the hope that we have ultimately in the finished work of Jesus. But as we look around the church today, and especially over the last several years, we see a lot of anger and we see a lot of fear. We see a lot of 
ungrateful people. We see a lot of resentful people. We see idolatry and atheistic Christianity, meaning a godless form of Christianity that holds to the tenets and the vernacular, the speech of Christianity, without the fruit and power that is meant to accommodate and come along with Christianity. And, and I'm starting with myself. I can say in the last few years, I have felt anger. I have felt scared. I have felt ungrateful. I have felt resentful. I have been an idolater, putting my hope and my passion and my security in created things rather than the Creator. I've been guilty of those things. And quite honestly, what that produces in us is the antithesis or the opposite of joy, which is despair. And so if we were to observe or to whiff the fragrant offering of the Christian church, of our church, would it smell more like anger and fear? Lack of gratitude or resentment? Would it be more like idolatry, focusing and worshiping other things? Or an atheistic Christianity where we are just as much in despair as the rest of the world, if not more because of the direction of the world? And so as I was praying and as I was sensing and as I was listening and observing, the goal for this series was to provide for us something that is biblical, something that is simple, and something that is practical. Because I have encountered, even in my own soul, but I've encountered many people over the years who are very intelligent, have read all the books, listened to the podcasts, gone to the conferences, argued the good fights, have been confused and then clear theologically, and they still emulate more of fear and anger and despair and idolatry rather than gratitude, a life of worship that produces a lasting joy. And so we have to begin with the question, well then what is God's will for me? I mean a lot of people are asking that question. Right? Well, I think Paul summarizes it in passing in a final instruction in 1 Thessalonians 5:16 through 18. Follower of Jesus, what is God's will for you? Rejoice always. Return to your joy. Remember the joy. Experience this joy. Pray without stopping, without ceasing. Be a life worshiper, not just a situational worshiper. Give thanks in all circumstances, not just the good, not just the touchdown or the homer, but in a terminal cancer diagnosis, in death, in brokenness in hurtful relationships for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you we have to begin with the truth that God is good and if because God is good that all that we engage encounter live through may not be good or initially caused by good but be will but will be used for good 
So that when you hear crazy phrases like, count it all joy, my brethren, when you face trials of various kinds. And rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Be anxious for nothing, but rather through prayer with thanksgiving in your anxiety, bring your requests to the Lord. That's crazy talk. That's crazy talk. When it's not anchored in the right place. And so my hope is, as we lean into God's will for us as God's people, to be a people who are rejoicing always, and that's not disconnected to pain, by the way. That's not saying that we are unaware of what's happening. It doesn't mean that we don't mourn with those who mourn. It doesn't mean that we're not angered by things that are unrighteous. But what it does mean is that there's a supernatural, lasting, remaining, driving joy Because the hope that is set before us, and when it's lacking, it's not a trigger to run from God, but to admit it to God. And so I want to unpack this for us. And so over the next four weeks, here are the four primary things we're going to cover. You can take notes now. You can go back and listen later. If you want to have your own independent summer Bible study, go look up words like grateful, thankful, thanksgiving in your concordance, that thing in the back of your Bible that lets you look up words and gives you passages and do a word study on those things and other synonyms. Go look up the antonyms of those words. You know, the antonym or the opposite of joy is despair. And begin to lean into an honest assessment before God because He's not like, oh my gosh, you are? You're experiencing despair? You're doubting me? I had no idea. That's not where He sits. That's not what He knows. So the first week, this week, we're going to talk about experiencing the transformational power of the Gospel produces gratitude. That, that should be an outcome of a thank you. The second week, gratitude fuels Christ-centered worship. Week three, Christ-centered worship produces Christ-centered joy. The source of, the, 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 the anchor toward, the place that we gather it from. In week four, Christ-centered joy compels the mission to see others experience Jesus. And so angry, bitter, despairing Christians going out doing evangelism and preaching against everything we're against, it's not working. It's happening. The mad Christians are using Jesus to try to convert people and change people's minds. But what's more supernatural today? Anger and despair and fear? Or gratitude? Christ-centered, Christ-giving worship and a non-circumstance-based lasting joy. Which one do you want? And if you buy now, I'm kidding. So this week we're going to talk about experiencing and understanding the transformational power of the gospel produces gratitude. And I want to provide an immediate healing balm for the believer here today who's trusted in Jesus and you don't feel grateful. 
When I speak of gratitude, I'm not speaking just emotional gratitude. It's more of a direction, a position, than it is an emotion. And so reorientation, repent in the Old Testament means change your direction. Repent in the New Testament, in the Greek, literally means change your mind. And so a f- honest prayer for the despairing Christian might be, I know I should be grateful, but I'm not yet. That honors God. I know I should be experiencing joy. I do not feel it. Bring that to the Father. I know I should be worshiping you, but I'm terrified about what's lacking in my bank account. I think sometimes we make Christianity so inhumane, meaning that we ignore the humanity of us humans, and constantly preach a divinity that really, if we're not careful, forces us to believe that we no longer need the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the orientation is meant to produce dependence upon the triune God. Not independence where we don't need to bother him with that anymore. So, you must be asking, well, Casey, you say we should be grateful. Write down this question if you're taking notes. There's four of you. Awesome. I'm not typically a note taker either because it ends up into drawings and then playing myself a tic-tac-toe usually not winning. But the main question is this, what do followers of Jesus have to be grateful for? Everything, life, breath. But I want to start with God. And let's unpack a few things that we can learn about what the Lord has done, because there's some days where there won't be life or breath any longer. There's some days where the sustenance may not be there. There's certain days where the spouse or the child that has always fallen in line may grow wayward. So what do we have to be grateful for? Let's go to a famous passage for Christians in John chapter 3. Right after Jesus has an interaction in secret with a Jewish ruler or leader, Nicodemus, there's this commentary that occurs, a statement that occurs that we love to talk about, and we usually like to take it in just verse 16 only but i want to start in verse 16 and carry it through verse 21 because there's five primary things that christians can be grateful for that we can find directly in this passage and i'll use some others to support it but hey if you're here this morning honestly you're not like i don't feel very grateful to the lord for the lord i'm grateful for my shoes my clothes the great dinner i had last night my my marriage that's fine but but the challenge is is when you just practice gratitudes for the sake of gratitudes only that might make you feel better situationally but let's begin at the source of life and then we can also thank god for our family and for our friends and for our church and all those things but this foundation will then help you to be joyful and be grateful even when things don't go our way So in John 3, beginning in verse 16, For God so loved the cosmos, the world, all that He created, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is, his, is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so there's five observations for us to make, uh, to make in this passage. And five reasons what, uh, answering what do followers of Jesus have to be grateful for. The number one thing is this. We are loved. For God so loved his creation. It doesn't say, for he loved his creation because they behaved so well. They were so God honoring. They lived out the blessings he set before them. It doesn't say that part. It says that God, regardless of your behavior, my behavior, their behavior, God, agape, selfless, giving, ongoing, persevering, transforming, life-giving, loved the cosmos. His love is greater than your failures. His love is greater than your weaknesses. His love is broader and deeper and more impactful than your sin. The challenge with believers is we're so much caught up, those of us who land a bit more conservative or a lot more conservative, on all the things that are wrong and that we're against that we don't remember who we are in light of who He is. It's not that we have loved God, it's that God loved us. John writes in 1 John 4 that for God is love. Not love is God, not love is love, but God is love. He goes on to say in 1 John 4, in this is love, not that we have loved God. It's not about us loving God, therefore earning God's love back, but, God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation, to be the payment for, to be the substitute for, um, to be the one who takes our place, to be the one who absorbs God's wrath and eternal judgment towards sin. He takes our place so that through Jesus and His substitution, we might be, again, redeemed image bearers who are recipients of and living into His selfless, life-giving love. Now you might be like, Casey, I know I'm loved, but I don't feel it. At least admit it. But I'm talking also as a church. We are loved. Jesus didn't come just to save individuals. He came to save a people. He loves the world. He loves all that He created. We are loved. It hasn't been earned. It's been given. There hasn't been a transaction that we could accomplish in order for God to love us more. In fact, many people view Christianity as a transactional faith when really there has been one transaction in the faith, and that is God's transaction with Himself through His Son on the cross and then raising Him from the dead. There's been one transaction that could be done in order for us to be made right with God, and that's God's deal with God Himself through God the Son. 
because you and I could never be good enough. Therefore, when friends of yours who may not be uh, mature in the faith or yet really know who Jesus is says, well, I can't go back to church because I've been too bad, the blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus, it, it covers that too. In fact, that's the enemy's work to keep you away from the only one who loves you unconditionally. And that love brings about this transformation. This love is the one that whispers you out of despair and of depression. The, this love is the kind that enters into the overwhelming places with you to beckon you out and to bring you to the light. We are loved. That's one reason Christians, followers of Jesus, have to be thankful, to be grateful. But wait, there's more. The second thing we see here is that we are known. We are loved and we are known. It didn't say, for God so loved the world that He sent His Son and was shocked at the state of things when He got here. He says, no, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. I've told my previous church I was pastoring and people I've spoken to before, if I had to give one of my kids for y'all's souls, you'd be in bad shape. You're okay with that? Some of you who are offended, sorry. His only son, not one of many, as some factions that call themselves Christians say, but one, his only son. He gave His Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. God could have. God could have sent His Son to say, you are all wrong, you are condemned, you are isolated, and you are out of here. He knew the state of things. He knew that His Son would not at first be accepted but rejected to the point of murder on a cross for being falsely accused. He, he knew that. And He chose out of love to do that anyway. For God so loved the world. For we are loved and we are known. Another way to put it is this. We are exposed, believers. When I... When I ask people, hey, how's your walk with Jesus going? Oh, I'm doing good. And I say, well, what does that mean? Oh, man, I'm doing my quiet time. I'm going to church. I'm giving. I haven't looked at this. I have done this. Boom, boom, boom. They tell me how good their walk is because of certain behavioral patterns and transactions. And while those things can be fruit, outcomes, a lot of times we replace um, the relational aspect for the transaction, transactional aspect. And so if we've been taken off the boxes, then we're good with the Lord. And then they're shocked when they fall off into a ditch of sin or despair or shame or guilt or fear. And they don't understand. We are intelligent beings. We were created with intelligence. We are able to perform and form habits that are life-giving. But... We were first made to be relational beings. Relationship was broken because of sin. Relationship is restored because of Jesus. Relationship with God, relationship with each other. We are loved by God. We are also known by God. 
What would it mean if you could actually live into the fact that God knows, yet God still chooses to love? He knows those things. Whatever you have hidden from everybody else on the planet, He knows. He still chooses to love. But why in the world, why in the world would God choose to do that? There's more of why we should be grateful. Number one, we are loved. Number two, we are known. Number three, we are forgiven. As people who are in Christ, we have been forgiven, are being forgiven, and will be forgiven. Taken outside of relationship and, and, and viewed as transaction, then the fear should be accurate that, well, that m- must mean that we can then do whatever we want to and still be okay with God. That's transactional. That's not relational. If the God of the universe who created us, who knows us even the way that sin and the sin nature affects us, yet chooses to love us, and then chooses of His own will to forgive us through His Son Jesus, if He chooses to do these things, which He does, and He releases us, forgives us, He's not holding it against us any longer, then the outcome should be liberation, not self-deprecation or self-devaluing or lowering our view of ourselves. It should actually free us from the mirror a bit to focusing more on the one in whom we have been loved by and known by and forgiven by. We are forgiven. We are forgiven and released. We are forgiven and known. We are forgiven and loved. It's interesting to me that as believers, we get so wrapped up in what's going on around us that we miss the one who is actually proven in time and space and in history through a proactive historical sacrifice that He loves us, that He knows us, that He forgives us, All of that, yet we worry about so many other things, myself included. In Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, Jesus is teaching. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. There's nothing else they can do. They can take your body. If you don't have an eternal perspective, then that's a lot. But if you understand that there is an eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful God who chooses to love, who chooses to know us completely, and then chooses to forgive us, He knows these things, yet we're so concerned about what they might do, or this group might do, or how this people might ruin something, that instead of saying, this is exposing my idol and my atheistic tendencies in Christianity, godless Christianity, I'm double-downing on saying, well, this is of the Lord on things that aren't, that he's not so worried about. But I warn you, verse 5, Whom to fear, fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. You are not are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God. 
Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more value than many sparrows. You are known by God. He chooses, even though He knows all these things, He chooses to forgive you. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but in order that it might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. So we're not here saying a judgmental message to those who are outside of Christ. If you're outside of Christ, you're already living into and from a place of condemnation. So as Christians, we're not here to heap that on. We're here to acknowledge and remind of the love of God, the fact that God knows us, the fact that God forgives us, but even more than just forgiven. It's one thing to forgive, but then not have relationship with somebody. You can forgive, but lack trust, and then move on in a way that may not be the same, but you can at least release and entrust to the Lord. But the fourth thing we see is that we are also accepted. We are loved. We are known. We are forgiven. We are accepted. But whoever, verse 21, does, does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away. The new has come. You've been accepted by God. Not because you have done something acceptable, but because the acceptable work of Christ, the accomplished work of Christ, the indwelling relationship with Christ covers the brokenness and makes us whole before the Father again. And even if your behavior right now is not acceptable, if you are in Christ, you are accepted. You can adjust, you can repent, you can redirect, you can confess. It doesn't mean we don't have consequences in this life for the decisions that we make. What it does mean, though, is that we can begin living into those consequences because we are loved, we are known, we are forgiven, we are accepted. And the fifth reason I would say today, a fifth thing that we have to be thankful for today is that we are safe. To be saved is to be made safe from and safe toward. In Jesus, even if the world around us is falling apart and even if we don't feel it today, the truth is that in Christ, we are safe. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. In fact, it says in the previous verse in 17, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. That if we have been rescued from the consequences and the outcomes and the eternal destination of our sin and adopted in and accepted and forgiven and loved and adopted and called sons and called daughters, if we, because we have those things, we can live in boldness, we can admit our flaws, we can live in biblical community that doesn't celebrate the failures, but celebrates the one who, in spite of those things, chooses to love, chooses to know us, chooses to forgive us, chooses to accept us, and in Christ chooses to make us safe. 
And so you might be thinking here today, well, that's good for you, buddy, but I don't feel that. I'm not engaging your feelings today. I'm acknowledging objectively what is true. And perhaps your feelings on occasion might betray you. As one who's acknowledged and said before, I've struggled with mental illness and issues as well. My mind and my thoughts and my emotions are not always accurate. Therefore, I take my unctions and my feelings and the leadings I feel and compare it to what's true in the Word of God. And if it aligns, I lean into. And if it doesn't, I run from. And not always perfectly. And there's times where I fall into the ditch and I fall into sin and I have to repent, and I have to be restored, and I have to ask for help, which we don't like doing. I don't. Quit talking about that. But what would it look like if we began to believe this as a community, that we are loved? Now, we are loved doesn't mean things go our way or the way we think we ought to. Thankfully, there's someone who sees things bigger and better than we do. So we can be trust we're loved and remind each other that we're loved. And we can remind each other that, hey, you are known. And one of the ways as image bears is we slow down to know you without immediately trying to fix you. Guess what? The people sitting in here today all are struggling with some sort of temptation or sin. Every one of us. Every one of us. And I remember the first student Bible my mom bought me when I was 17 years old. It says, the church is not meant to be a show off of saints. It's meant to be a hospital for sinners. And what if we were actually a place that didn't come to congratulate how godly we appear, but celebrate how deeply we are loved and that we are known and that we are forgiven and that we are accepted and that we are safe? What might that look like? What might that do in us as a people? What might that speak into our depression and into our isolation and into our brokenness and our broken marriages and the relationships that are broken. What might that do? So, what do followers of Jesus have to be grateful for? We are loved by Jesus. We are known by Jesus. We are forgiven because of Jesus. We are accepted through Jesus. And we are safe in Jesus. And so this week, every day, if you're looking for something to maybe in faith offer up that even if you don't feel it believe it if you're exhausted or beat down that you can stand before god and say the lord i don't really know if i feel this today but in your word i'm going to choose to believe that i am loved by jesus i am known by jesus i am forgiven because of jesus i am accepted through jesus i am safe in jesus And I'm not mad. Some kids might think I'm mad. It's just my Neanderthal face. But we're able to make those true gratitude declarations that have historical proven backing that all of a sudden if you begin to to lean into this just a bit as an individual, and if we as a people begin to live into this just a bit, how might our community, no, let's back up, how might our souls, our families, our neighbors, our community, our cities and state and nation and world, how might it be different? If from a place of gratitude, 
or acknowledgement of lacking gratitude, we come honestly to bring worship and worth to the Lord with our doubts and our brokenness. Might there be a joy that can count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds? And I want to share with you today, whether you're young or old, whether you feel near to God or far from God, if you've yet to place your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, the love of God is extended to you as well. If you're broken, if you're sinful, if you're hurt and you're lonely, join the club. But our focus isn't what we see in the mirror. Our focus is on the one that has an answer to it. And might we call upon him? And might we begin to lean into the gratitude of, I am loved by Jesus. But what about this? What about that? What about there's no way he could love me if you are loved by Jesus? And it's really that love and that knowledge that God has of us and that forgiveness of Jesus and the acceptance through Jesus and the safety we have in Jesus that leads us to repentance. In fact, the Bible teaches in Romans 2 that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So perhaps today we as a people repent because we haven't been living with gratitude as a people, but we can declare today that we are loved by Jesus, we are known by Jesus, we are forgiven because of Jesus, we are accepted through Jesus, we are safe in Jesus. Let's pray.